we're gonna have some fun this morning. This is gonna be good, okay? Um, I've actually, I've given this talk in just a, a few small areas, a few small pockets of our church, and, and when I do, the feedback is always like, you need to like preach a sermon on this. So here it is, if you told me that, I'm doing it, okay? And so uh, we gotta start out uh, with kind of a little buy-in, all right? We gotta get, get, you, get you hooked into this. So I, I wanna start with giving you a self-assessment, all right, yay, that's always fun, uh, but you get to self-assess on whether or not you have a sickness, okay? Don't worry, it's not the vid. We're not doing that, okay? This is a different sickness that I want you to self-assess. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna read some symptoms, and if you have those, just a little mental note and go, yep, that's me, or if not, I'd be like, no, never, never deal with that at all, okay? We got 10 of them, and then we'll talk about what the sickness is. All right, here's the first symptom. Number one, it's irritability. You get mad, frustrated, or just annoyed easily. Little normal things can irk you, and you may have an ongoing low-grade negativity, if not anger. Yes or no for you? Do you ever experience that symptom of irritability? Here's number two, hypersensitivity. All it takes sometimes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings, an email to set you off, or a little turn of events to throw you into an emotional funk and ruin your day. Ordinary problems of life can have a disproportionate effect on your emotional well-being and relational grace. Yes or no? How are you scoring so far, right? Number three, restlessness. When you try to slow down and rest, you can't relax. You have a quiet time with God, but you can't focus your mind. You go to bed early, but you toss and turn. You watch TV, but simultaneously you're on your phone, fold laundry, and keep checking Facebook. Is that a symptom for you? I said somebody's saying yes, sorry. Workaholism or nonstop activity. You just don't know when to stop. Or worse, you can't. You always seem to be thinking or wanting to accomplish or accumulate something else. This could show up as careerism or just obsessive house cleaning and errand running. By the day's end, you have nothing left to give to your spouse, your children, or your loved ones. They don't get the best of you, they just get what's left of you. Yes, no, a symptom you ever experienced? Number five, emotional numbness. You just don't have the capacity to feel one more person's pain, or maybe your own pain for that matter. Empathy is a rare feeling for you. You just don't have time for it. The sixth symptom of this sickness is out of order priorities. You feel disconnected from your calling. You're always getting sucked into the tyranny of the urgent. Your life tends to be reactive, not proactive. You're busier than ever before, yet you still don't feel like you have time for what really matters most to you. You ever experienced that? Seventh symptom is a lack of care for your body. You don't have time for the basics, seven hours of sleep at night, daily exercise, healthy home-cooked meals, minimal stimulants and margin. You gain weight, you get sick multiple times a year, you don't sleep well, and you regularly wake up tired. You live off the four horsemen of the industrialized food apocalypse, caffeine, sugar, carbs, and alcohol. Ouch. Number eight, maybe this symptom's true of you, escapist behavior. When you're too tired to do what's actually life-giving for your soul, you'll turn to a distraction of choice. Overeating, overdrinking, 
binge watching, social media browsing, surfing the web, fantasizing. Name your preferred distraction that leads you into a negative feedback loop of a socially acceptable addiction. Two more symptoms. Number nine, a slippage of spiritual disciplines. When you get over busy, the things that are truly life-giving for your soul are the first to go rather than the first go-to, such as a quiet time in the morning, scripture, prayer, worship on a Sunday. You got that one. Good job. Meal with your community, giving, serving, and so on. Last symptom of this sickness, if you're kind of tallying in your head, is isolation. You feel disconnected from God, from others, and possibly even your own soul. There's those rare times when you stop to pray, and by prayer, I don't just mean ask God for stuff, but sit with God in the quiet. But you're so stressed and so distracted that your mind can't settle down long enough to enjoy the Father's company. Maybe it's the same with your friends. When you're with them, you're also with your phone a million miles away in your mind. You're running down a to-do list. Even when you're alone by yourself, you come face to face with a void that your soul is immediately run back to a familiar groove of busyness and digital distraction. Well, wasn't that fun? What a great way to start our Sunday morning. I first read this in a book. It was a a book by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And when I read it, I just stood up, I took the book and I threw it down. I was like, poo-poo on your assessment, you know? I was like, I scored 11 out of 10, okay? I don't know that's possible. Like a couple of them, I'm like, that's double me, okay? I hated reading this thing. It just rubbed me the wrong way. And I was like, oh my goodness, right? But but it's, it's an interesting assessment to see and to look at our own life. Now, what is the sickness that these symptoms are a sign of? It's a symptom of hurry sickness, which can be defined as a behavior pattern characterized by continually rushing and anxiousness, a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and gets flustered when encountering any kind of delay. It was Corey Ten Boom who said this, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll just make you busy. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and to your own soul. Just being honest with you, I'm not hyper-worried about the majority of people in here walking out on your faith one day. Just saying, I don't believe in Jesus, I'm renouncing the faith, I'm giving up on Christianity. That's not what I'm mostly worried about. What I would be more concerned about is that you and I get so distracted, so busy, so overprogrammed, overworked, that we would settle for a mediocre version of our faith. Not that we would punt and walk on it. So how do we combat against that? In a hurry-sick, busy, overworked, anxious, stressed-out world, God has actually given you and I an incredible gift that cuts against that grain. He wove it into the fabric of our lives. He baked it into creation. What is it? It's Sabbath. It's the practice, the discipline 
of actually stopping to rest. So why should we Sabbath? One reason we should Sabbath is this, is that stopping was made to be a part of living. Let's go back and look at the creation account. Genesis 2, thus the heavens and the earth, they were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished the work he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy, and on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. And you realize when God's setting up the universe and setting up our life, he could have had a three-day week, could have had a 10-day week, could have had a 27-day week. He chose a seven-day week. This was his perfect design. And in that, on the seventh day, he rested. Like, is it like he created for six days and was like, whew, that's tough, you know? Like when we go up a flight of stairs, like I need to take a break before I go. That's not it. The, The word rested there, it's not like God got tired. It's the word Shabbat, which literally translates to stop, to cease, to desist. I think about it like if, if you or I, we ever do a, a big project, like I hate the one time a year I do mulch because it's like 75 bags of mulch and I throw my back out for two weeks. But at the end of it, after all that hard work, I just go, yeah. I mean, I, breathe, I look at those, because tomorrow is going to be pollen all in it and it's gonna be, I'm going to be upset, right? But you just kind of breathe in and take pride in what you had just done. I think it's what God did. He, he, he breathed out. He spoke everything into being, into creation. So on the seventh day, he, he breathes in. He stops. He rests, right? Not because he needed to, but just to, to marvel at the work of creation. What's interesting is this practice of Sabbath, we, we, we see it continue in scripture. In Exodus 16, as the Israelites are wandering in the desert, God is graciously providing for them, sending them manna from heaven. Manna literally translates to what is it, okay? So great thing that they labeled it. And so God says, hey, on the sixth day, you need a double portion. You need to go out and get stuff for today and tomorrow because on the seventh day, it's Shabbat, it's stop, it's cease, desist. I'm not gonna provide food on that day. Well, some knucklehead like me was like, yeah, whatever. They didn't pay attention to the rules, didn't read the directions. And so they go out on the sixth day, they get one helping of food. They go on the seventh day and they're like, where's the food? You know, and God's like, you knucklehead, I tried to tell you. Like, this is a, and here's what I find fascinating about that story. It's pre-law. And we see this rhythm, this stopping, this rest in creation. We even see it before the law. But then God obviously says, you guys aren't getting it. Like I've tried to show you, but you're not. So let me, let me help you out. Here's our second reason I think we should Sabbath because then God made it a commandment. He made it a rule. He made it law. Here's where we see Exodus 35. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day, you shall have a Sabbath, solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Do you think that Sabbath is important to God? So much so Not only did he put it in creation, lead by example, gave it pre-law, but then he puts it in the law. Not just in the 613, but he also makes the highlight reel. It makes the top 10, the Decalogue in the 10 commandments is Sabbath. Not only that, it is so important to God that he actually goes even further. I left off a little bit of the Exodus verse. 
Let's finish it out. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. Are you kidding me? That's the consequence for work on the Sabbath? Can't be, right? God, he's all bark and no bite right there. Well, here's what Numbers 15 has an account. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath. Wow, so much, right? And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron, to the whole congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. It had been made clear. Verse 35, God's gonna make it clear again. The Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death and all the congregation will stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. You think rest is important to God? I mean, that's like mind boggling to me. He's like, I know you think you don't need it. I know you think you could pick up a couple sticks, answer one email, right? But I want to throw this consequence here because it's so important for you to get and to understand. I mean, that's wild to me. I mean, so God just absolutely spells it out for him. I mean, he gives them everything. So he says, here's how you're gonna practice Sabbath. It's gonna be Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. In the Jewish mind, the Jewish calendar, that's when a new day starts. So as soon as the sun goes down Friday, it's a new day. And so Jimmy and I, we've been in Israel. It's crazy what happens, right? Friday at sunset, all the business closed. Everything's just, you know, desolate wasteland. And then even Saturday sunset, after the Sabbath is over, that literal 24-hour period, like they open the businesses back up. So it's like they open back up at like 9, 9.30 at night on Saturday just to sell for a little bit more. But man, that period, it's taken off. And so God is very strict to me. He goes, here's the time frame. Now here's what you cannot do. He says, no sowing, no plowing, no reaping, no kneading, no baking, no shearing, no washing, no beating, no dyeing, no wool, no spinning, no weaving, no making two loops, no untying two loops, no sewing, no slaughtering, no flaying, no tanning, no making hides, no writing two or more letters, no erasing two or more letters, no building, no demolishing, no extinguishing a fire, no kindling a fire, no transporting an object more than four cubits, which is six feet. And you're like, oh my goodness, what could you do? You could sit at home with your family and rest and worship and pray. I mean, that was the point. So, is it a command now? Like if you answer an email on the Sabbath or pick up some sticks, like we're gonna stone you to death? No, Jesus has come, he has fulfilled the law. We're under a new covenant, a covenant of grace. So we just ignore the Sabbath altogether? Like, psh, that was for them, they couldn't keep it together. God had to put that rule, it's not for us? Let me give you this scenario, let's say, Tomorrow, the town of Flower Mound says, you know what? We're done with stoplights in this town, right? No more stoplights, no more stop signs. Rip them all out. You can just run through the intersection. No, you know, it's, it's not a rule. It's not a law anymore. Would you stop? Or would you just go, whoa, right on through? You'd probably be like, there was a reason they were there to begin with. And although I'm not gonna get a ticket for just running through the intersection, there's probably some wisdom and me slowing down and looking. Same thing with the Sabbath. It's not a rule that we have to keep, but it is a rhythm we ought to seek. There is some wisdom 
behind pursuing this discipline. Another reason is that stopping was a practice of our Savior. If you call yourself a Christian, a little Christ, a follow Christ, Jesus Sabbath, and you don't need to, but Jesus said this, he goes, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What he's saying there is that Sabbath is a gift to you. Like here's what I guarantee you what, what would not happen. If you walked out there in the lobby after church today and someone had a $10,000 check and said, here you go, that's for you. You wouldn't be like, I don't need that. They're like, no, 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 like seriously, this, this is for you. This is for your flourishing, for your family. This, this is a gift. You're like, I don't want that. But that's what we do with the Sabbath. God goes, here's a gift for you, for your family, for your own personal flourishing. And so many times you go, I don't want it, I don't need it. Another reason we should Sabbath is that stopping shows us something about ourselves. It, it can reveal some things. You think about the story where Jesus comes and he's hanging out at the home of Martha and Mary, and Martha's got the gift of hospitality. I mean, she crushes it, right? She's got all the right candles and the towels and the, and the food. And so she's there and she's working her tail off, just loving Jesus through all this work and hospitality and busyness. And what's Mary doing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus going, hey, Jesus, you know. And so Martha, who has hurry sickness, who's hypersensitive, who's irritable, she goes and she pops off and runs her mouth to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, tell my sister to help me. And Jesus says, you are worried about so many things. But Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. You see, when we stop, it forces us to face our idols and it can reveal some things. Rick Warren, famous pastor out in California, he said there are five idols that keep you and I from entering into God's rest. The first idol is misplaced identity. The, 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 the idol that I'm finding my worth in my work and not in just who I am as a child of God. That's an idol that'll prevent you from finding rest in God. Another idol that prevents you from entering God's rest is this insatiable desire for more. But rather when we have contentment, we can find God's rest. An idol that prevents you from entering God's rest is envy for what others have. Another idol that prevents you from Sabbathing and stopping is that you value achievements more than you value relationships. It's Martha and Mary. I'm like, like workaholism is the most rewarded addiction in our society. We, we value achievement more than we value relationship. The fifth idol, Rick Warren says, that will keep you from entering God's rest is insecurity. Who am I if I'm not working, if I'm not producing, if I'm not getting ahead? Who am I? We're insecure and that can prevent us from truly entering into God's rest. So for the rest of the time, I just wanna go, how do we Sabbath? Like today, 2022, like what, you know, we're not under the law anymore, so how can we do it? And I'm gonna give it to you. I'm gonna teach you how to Sabbath in four words. That's it, right? You just do these four words and you got it. So the first one is this, how to Sabbath today, right now, you have to stop. That's what Shabbat literally translates. It means to stop. 
a literal 24 hour period. Don't give me this monkey business about like, well, I'm gonna have a Sabbath moment. That's not what it means. It's 24 hours. Like step up to the challenge, see if you can do it, right? Have fun, talk about it, go. But here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the grace part. It doesn't have to be Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. Maybe that works for you. Maybe that works for your family. Maybe it doesn't. You know, typically, I think in our culture today, probably like a Saturday sunset to a Sunday sunset would be wonderful. And like church is there, be a part of it. Like I, I, can't, I work on Sunday, okay? You know, I always think it's funny you guys come and watch me work on Sunday. I'd love to come watch you work on Tuesday. I think that'd be a great change of pace. But so for me, I typically Sabbath Friday noon to Saturday noon, right? So you got to stop. You pick that literal 24-hour period. Um, the way we look at work is that for me as an employee of Rock Point Church, they owe me five days, okay? Rock Point's got me for five. My house that's decrepit and falling apart has me for another day in my yard that won't go grass and all the mulch, right? But then there's another day where I should not work at home and I should not work at church. So five days to your employer if you're employed, one day to the home and all the personal stuff, but then there's a 24-hour period where we just, we stop, we cease, we desist. Now, I'm gonna push you a little bit because there's not this like magic formula of what you have to do like we read there and the, you know, no writing two or more letters. I just wanna stretch you and maybe give you some extreme scenarios if you're ever interested in receiving some extreme results. So what if you stopped in that 24-hour period that you and your family pick, what if you stopped any sort of organized sport program or activity? Here's what Yuri Broffenbrenner, a renowned developmental psychologist who taught at Cornell for 50 years. Here's what he says. In today's world, parents find themselves at the mercy of a society which imposes pressure and priorities that neither allow time nor place for the meaningful activities, thus parents, meaningful activities, preventing parents from doing the thing he or she wants to do as a guide, a friend, or companion to their children. We may forfeit the deep, meaningful, soul-shaping work of parenting and relegate ourselves to becoming an activity coordinator, an Uber driver, and a financial investor in our children. What if you just said these 24 hours, we're not doing it, right? I'm not just gonna be an Uber driver activity coordinator. See, here's, let's go back to that stopping reveals something about ourselves. Like we have this term in our society now called the great resignation where like COVID hit and then like nobody wanted to go back to work. And so like every industry can't find employees. I don't know where they are, but they got raptured and we got left. So, you know, <laughs> check yourself. But, but I heard a podcast and I said, it's not so much the great resignation as it is a great realization followed by a great declaration. See, there's one woman they interviewed on the podcast and she goes, I used to drive downtown, lived in the burbs and drove into downtown, was at the office all day and spent you know, an hour plus each way in the car and frustrated all this stuff. She said, then COVID hit and I was like, you know, at home. And I realized I didn't like doing that. I didn't like going to the office. I didn't like sitting in traffic and burning all that time away from my family. And now I'm making a great declaration, which is I'm not going back. You can either remote me or you can hybrid me or you can lose me. And, and so that would not have come unless she stopped. 
Stopping can reveal some things about your life. So number one, to Sabbath, you have to stop. Number two, you have to rest. For what would it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world but to lose your soul? Hebrews 4, 11, New Testament. Listen to what it says. Therefore, Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest and is rested from his own works, just as God did from him, let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. The hardest thing about Sabbath is preparing for the Sabbath. You, you have to like make an effort, okay? Effort number one is getting the whole family in agreement on, okay? You cannot Sabbath by yourself at your house, all right? It's just not gonna work. Everybody else running chaotically and you're just like, I got this, bring me a lemonade, I'm sleeping in, right? It's all skate. It's a family affair. So go talk about it in the car on the way home. Go, what is our 24-hour period? You gotta get everybody involved. And then you gotta prepare for it, right? What are we gonna do? One of the things you can do is to, to rest yourself that day. Like, if you, if you can, sleep in. If you can, take a nap. I mean, here's what we learned. Just by resting, just by getting a little bit more sleep, this is what happens to you. You have reduced stress and anxiety. Your mood improves. You decrease your blood pressure. You have chronic pain relief. You have an improved immune health. You have more effective digestive system, stronger cardiovascular system, more creative, and better decision-making just by getting a nap. Amen. Amen, let's go. We're ready. So rest yourself. One more thing you could consider resting, extreme, but maybe it'll produce extreme results, is to rest the screens, rest the devices. I, I, mean, I mean, what if we turned it off for a literal 24 hours? Like no phone, no tablet, no TV, for a literal 24 hours. What would happen to yourself, to your soul, to your family? Here's what one author writes. Your phone doesn't actually work for you. Yes, you pay for it, but it works for a multi-billion dollar corporation in California, not you. You're not the customer, you're the product. And it's your attention that's for sale along with your peace of mind. And here's what we know about attention. Attention is the beginning of devotion. And in the end, our life is simply the sum of what we give our devotion to. So think about it. And then just have fun with your family. Have this conversation go, what else could we rest? If we rest ourselves, well, let's say we rest our devices. Could, could you rest your credit card for a day? Like, could you go 24 hours without spending a cent? Might be good. Might reveal something. That's why there's an effort. There's a preparation to this, right? But man, how, how incredible would that be? For some of you, you drive all over the place. What if you rested your car for a day? Like you said, if we're going somewhere, I'm walking, right? What else could you, could you rest from the news? Good heavens, for 24 hours, could we shut it off? Maybe that would bring some, some vibrancy and some life and some less anxiousness to our soul. How about getting off on social media for 24 hours? It's the cat photo and the food photo is gonna be there at the 25th hour, right? 
the anger and hey, it's all gonna be there at the 25th hour, but what if we just set it aside and rested it for 24 hours? So you gotta stop, you gotta rest. This is the fun one. Number three, you have to delight. It's about joy, right? Well, what am I doing if I'm not doing all that housework and you know, working the emails and all that stuff, if we're turning off the screens, do a puzzle, play a board game, draw, paint, play an instrument. If you don't know an instrument, learn an instrument, you're gonna have 24 hours to do it, right? <laughs> Cook a feast. Go buy one of those ridiculous cookbooks where it takes like three to four hours to make a meal. You can't do that on Tuesday, right? But on Sabbath, let's have a feast. Let's go buy all the things and spend all the time and make the whole thing. Just enjoy and delight in that. What if you, what if you had some friends over? A helpful tip is that if you're a thought worker, if you work with your mind, you should try to Sabbath with your hands. Like, get outside. Go take a hike. Take me golfing, okay? <laughs> if you're a hand worker, you work with your hands, maybe you ought to try to Sabbath with your mind. Read a book. Take that rest. Take that nap if you can. So on this day, on Sabbath, this 24-hour period, you stop, you rest, and you delight. What, I'd love to give you a term that you can practice. This is so fun, right? It's the best sermon ever. You, it's called pleasure stacking, all right? Sounds good, right? You take all the things that give you pleasure and you slam them together, right? You do them all that same day. So maybe there's like a meal or like a piece of food. Like, I'm not gonna eat it those six days, but on Sabbath, I'm having steak for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, okay? And you have your favorite jammies and your favorite clothes and you put that on. And maybe there's a cologne or a perfume and you only spray that on Sabbath. Or maybe you buy that really expensive tea tree shampoo and you only use that on Sabbath. And you go, oh, you know? I mean, that's worshipful. You play your favorite song, this is how we do it, you know? And so you like set the mood of the house, you make the bacon in the morning, right? You go do all your favorite activities, like have fun, just like pleasure stack it. But here's the deal, it's not just to delight in those things themselves, it's to delight in the giver of the good gifts, to delight in the Lord. A secular person, a pagan person, they just enjoy a steak and that's where it terminates. For you and I, the believer, we, we, we lay into the Nolan Ryan tenderloin and we're like, praise Jesus, okay? It, it rolls up to something bigger and greater. And that's the fourth part. You stop, you rest, you delight, and then you worship. Like, people without Jesus, they can relax. I don't think they can truly rest. Like you and I, we, we, we can have a nap and we can have a drink and we can have a weekend getaway and we can still come back to hurry sickness. But it's that worship component that is the key to Sabbath. Jesus would say it like this. Come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, hurry sick, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Rest is not in the nap. It's not in the pleasure stacking. It's in Jesus. Sabbath is fasting from work so we can feast on the Lord. It's not about running to God to escape life. I believe Sabbath is about running to God so that we can better engage life. I had the way I think about Sabbath just like radically changed for me a while back. 
Because I thought, it was like, hey, here we are. And so like, we, we start here and we go through our week and it's a grind and we pour it out and empty ourselves and da da da. And like, we're working for the weekend, right? So once we get here, Friday, Saturday, we're like, oh, the weekend. I finally caught up. But go back and look at the creation account. Adam and Eve are created. And what is their very first day? Day seven, Sabbath. Before they did an ounce of work, they rested. They delighted. They worshiped. So I think about seven days. It's not catching up. It's not paying off credit card. It's like, it's like increasing your savings. Before I, before I even start in my week, I am so filled up and abundant and abiding in Jesus Christ. Now, out of this place, I can go through my week and just pour out to people, to knees, whatever. And then Sabbath again. So I love that way. I think about this. We all know this. If you have children or been around a child, you know that resistance to rest reveals immaturity. Like I got six, four, and one. And like around three o'clock in the afternoon, it's nuts in our house, right? I'm like, you all need to take a nap right now because they're like laughing and crying in the same breath and they cannot get their stuff together and I'm losing my stuff, right? And so then, or sometimes they're like, stay up real late. And they're like, I don't need to sleep. I still, you know, I'm like, lie down, you know, go to bed. We have to force them to go to bed. Like get back in your bedroom and, and close your eyes and shut your mouth. Right, because re- resistance to rest reveals immaturity. Is that why in Psalm 23, he says, he makes me lie down? Uh, if you can't Sabbath, there may be something wrong with you. you. You may be addicted. You may have poor time management. If you just flat out won't Sabbath, Maybe you have a rebellious heart toward God. Or if you think you don't need to Sabbath, you might be more prideful, self-righteous, and short-sighted than you'd like to admit. Like, I wonder, in the frantic, anxious, overworked, overprogrammed, hurry-sick world we live in, could Sabbath not be the greatest tool of evangelism you possess? I mean, isn't that why it was given to Israel in the first place? Because it's like, hey, you guys are gonna take off a day and all these other countries and nations are gonna work themselves into the ground, but you're gonna take off a 24-hour period and I'm gonna bless you in abundance. And all these other nations are gonna like, what's going on with Israel? And that's when you get to tell them. And people are gonna look at you like, what do you, what do you mean your whole fate? You do no screens for 24 hours. You don't spin for 24 hours. What are you talking about? What do you mean you're not gonna play ball on Sunday? You're like, but yet you live vibrantly. You, you're thriving. Your family is closer and tighter than ever before. And people look in and go, what are you doing? Let me tell you about my creator who designed, who wove this in, who gave us this gift for flourishing. In your life right now, you are forming a habit, either a habit to stop or a habit to keep working. If you sow a thought, you'll reap an act. You sow an act, you'll reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you'll reap a character. Sow a character, you'll reap a destiny. I pray that your character 
your legacy and your destiny would not be one of hurry sickness, of running around, busy, overworked, overprogrammed. I pray the character, destiny, and legacy you leave is one of stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping in our Lord. Not just for you, so you can be like, boy, I feel good. That's not really the point. But when you are rested and you thrive and you are connected to Jesus now, you can help others in your life find the ultimate rest that only Jesus can provide. How about it? Let's Sabbath. God, thank you so much for this practice, for this spiritual discipline, for this rhythm. From Genesis 2, you wove it into creation. This is what we were created to do, and, and we think we know better than you, and we don't need it, and we buck against the system. But God, help us see by, by submitting to this good and great gift, so submitting to this design of creation, we would thrive. And God, if there's any hesitation or resistance in us, God, maybe, maybe we're too addicted, maybe we've got a, a grip on some idols, and maybe we need this catharsis. So God, empower these families under the covenant of grace to, to pick what works for them, how they can stop and rest and delight and how they can worship. I pray that they would feast on you, actually have time for you, an intimate relationship with you that we've never had before. God, would this unlock a new level of Christ-likeness? God, allow these families to put this rhythm into practice and, and may it be a light into our hurry sick so we can tell others about the ultimate rest we find in you, Jesus. We love you. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.